Today on the Zabecast, MLB has pushed the nuclear plunger. You will take this season and like it. Does it mean they'll actually be baseball, though? Bubba Wallace confronts an ugly reality. I talk about doing things one-handed and a recap from my round at Brown Deer Golf Course. Plus, the Ryder Cup is punted to 2021. And when will cancel culture finally end? Your daily Kickstarter of Uncensored Me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. Thank you for joining me plausibly live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the greatest underrated town in America, a.k.a. Cream City, a.k.a. The Good Land, a.k.a. Milwaukee. It's good to be back. I've been a couple of months out. Haven't been back since our trip to Sunburn Bowl 1 in Puerto Vallarta. Back in February. And normally I make it up here every month or thereabouts, and I've missed it. And it's good to be back, but it also still feels weird, to be honest. It's quiet. It's not bustling, as Milwaukee should. Just like when I drove to the airport this morning, Reagan National, I kept saying to my dad, my dad was in the car with me because my parents are awesome and my Dad will uh, gladly shuttle me down to the airport, drive my car back, and let it be sitting in remote parking in his driveway on the mean streets of McLean, Virginia. So we drive down, and we're chatting, and it's great shoulder-to-shoulder father-son time. And I said, Dad, look at this. Look at, look at the GW Parkway. This is crazy. Look at 66. No one's here. This unbelievable. Where, where is everybody? I know in the summer in D.C., it slows down. It slows down. The traffic is significantly lighter. But it, the world is still not moving at tempo as I want it to be. I miss it. I miss the hustle, the bustle, the economic engine of capitalism and people pursuing their dreams and living life and going places and doing things and meeting people and gathering. God, do I miss it. So here in Milwaukee, I just got that sense. I'm like, man, it's, it's quiet. feels weird. And when I checked into my hotel room, I had this overwhelming sense of, wait, what what season is it? What what month is it? I have, and I'm going to, maybe this is a real term, maybe it's not, non-sports season dysphoria. I don't know what season it is because there's no sports. How dumb is that, right? I, I say to myself, well, it was pleasantly warm today. Didn't rain on us, which was nice. Overcast for much of the afternoon. It's summer. I know that for a fact, but I, there's no ball games on. There's no baseball. There's what's where? Where am I on so many years of going around the familiar sports track and the familiar land posts, land post, uh, landmarks, and mileposts? And I'm all confused right now. It's crazy. Anyway, I hope it ends sooner rather than later. Quickly on Brown Deer. Man, what a place. This is something, as a golfer, you have to see firsthand. Brown Deer Golf Course is the crown jewel. It's the best layout, and it's the best condition of all the Milwaukee County Parks golf courses. And it was so good for years that they used to have 
a pro tournament here, the Greater Milwaukee Open, and it did quite well. But it lacked a big sponsor, and eventually it had to lose its spot on the PGA Tour rotation. Pros loved coming here. It was, of course, not one of the higher-profile, prestigious events. But remember, this was the place, Brown Deer, where Tiger Woods made his splash onto the professional circuit. I guess, hello world, is how he put it. And so here he comes in 96 and bursts on the scene, has a hole-in-one in his PGA Tour debut as a pro. Now, he finished, I forget where, T30, T40, made the cut, made money. But the hole-in-one was the memorable highlight, and you could tell right away, this kid's going to be electrifying. So it's a lovely layout. I mean, it's got a nice few ripples of elevation, mostly flat, but there's a couple of tee boxes on the front and the back nine that climb up this gentle little hill and are set up amongst these giant trees, these giant elm trees and these sycamores. I don't know. I'm out of my ass talking trees. I should know this better. Big old oak trees, elm trees, uh, tulip poplars, massive trees. And the tee boxes are set up in there, and it's got some water hazards. It's got some interesting holes. It's not a very long course, but it's just gorgeous, and it's in great condition. And nobody was out there on a Monday. Now, maybe it's because, well, it looked like it was going to rain. But what else is there to do? We were so lucky, and i got to thank the head pro, Andy, who uh, got us on out there and uh, made sure uh, we had a good time, which we did. Clubhouse is not fully open, but that's okay. We still had beverages at the turn, and it was all good. It's a great course. It's a better value. I believe for residents, you can play eight. You could have played 18 today for 46 bucks with cart. I mean, come on. And what's nice is they keep the rough a little bit rough, but you can find your ball. You can hit it out of there. It's a penalty, but it's not going to beat you up. Amazing. We don't have anything quite like it in the D.C. area. We have munis, yes. Some are pretty good. They're not $46 with cart. And on a nice day, good luck getting on. Don't take that for granted. The other thing that you shouldn't take for granted, if you live up here in Milwaukee, and uh, Josh and I went to it afterwards to get some food, Culver's. Culver's, for those who live here in Wisconsin, they're like, oh, yeah, Culver's, of course. For those who don't, my D.C. listeners and national listeners, let me explain Culver's the most succinct way I can. It is Chick-fil-A for burgers. Boom, done. Now, they've got a pretty broad menu that does include chicken sandwiches. I think there's a fish sandwich on it. They've, of course, got the state side snack cheese curds, deep fried cheese curds, which I resisted, did not have them. Thank you very much. But they have these buttered burgers, <laughs> drip fried in butter, cheese, everything you want on it or nothing. I ordered mine cheeseburgers, ketchup only, boom, done, perfect. The softest, most succulent buns you've ever had. It's so good. And they also, of course, are known for their ice cream and their shakes. And they have these uh, thing called cement mixers, which are like the Dairy Queen things where you can turn it upside down. It's so thick 
and it's uh, they're incredible. I did not have one of those either. I'm trying to be good. Um, we don't have such a thing. Josh asked me a good question. He said, so what's your equivalent of Culver's in the, on the East Coast that we don't have here in the Midwest in terms of a food place? And I said, I don't know. I know there's no Culver's type of restaurant near us. Uh, there's just nothing. And it's a great story, the Culver story. Uh, I don't have time to go into it now right here. But the bottom line is, like I said, it's, it's run with the care and attention and the cleanliness and the service you would expect. Yes, it's fast food. Yes, you can go through a drive-thru, but it's not rushed fast food. Like, we went through the drive-thru. It was pretty long, and I'm belly aching to Josh. I'm like, oh, we're never going to eat. He's like, come on, man. What's wrong with you? And I said, I'm hungry. Golf is a hungering game. But once we got through the drive-thru, they put a little sticky note on our side view mirror and said, we'll be out in just a minute with your food. And I'm like, oh, 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 God. But it's because it's a higher quality of food. It's also not quite as cheap, obviously, as McDonald's or Wendy's or something like that. But, I mean, you gladly pay for it. So my double cheeseburger was a $5.86 double cheese. I mean, who cares? Freaking delicious. Unbelievable. We don't have that. I wonder if they would allow franchises to be operated on the East Coast. Maybe I could open one. How would that work? I, it would kill. It would kill. It's basically a better McDonald's with better quality of food, although let's not kid ourselves. It's not health food, but the quality is definitely better, and I think people would love it. We don't have anything. If we do have something East Coast, let me know that they don't have in the Midwest. I know that um, In-N-Out Burger is most, pretty much West. Shake Shack, I'd say it's similar in a way to Shake Shack, but Shake Shack doesn't do drive through and they're more in urban locations. Tighter footprint real estate windows. Put them in here, put them in there. Okay, enough about the food. One-handedness. So update on my wrist, because I know everyone cares so deeply. Uh, tendonitis in the, left, in the left wrist due, severe tendonitis left wrist due to rheumatoid arthritis, which also can, you know, create tendonitis, tensosynovitis, it sucks, it's the worst, has been really bad uh, for me the last two weeks, let's call it. It's been a flare-up, as they say in the disease, and it can be triggered by any number of things, diet, stress, or just a basic, who the fuck knows? How long can they last? Oh, a week, month, months, years. I mean, it's horrible. Don't ever get rheumatoid arthritis. And maybe you can, I don't know if you, how do I get it? Uh, well, I think it's genetic. But it's also can be triggered by other things. I believe my Lyme disease triggered RA. So I believe that I've had both. First Lyme, then RA, or some conflation of the two. Don't ask me. Ask all. Ask the 20 doctors I talked to along the way. So anyway, it got bad enough today that I was hitting it one-handed because on the longer shots, like on my tee shots, the longer clubs hurt more. And I realized, okay, shorter clubs, it's not as much of a fulcrum. I can hit it okay. So I started hitting hybrid one-handed off the tee. And I got to tell you, I started hitting some real good shots. <laughs> I actually 
could knock it out there. Let's call it 180. 180 in play, pretty straight. And I even made a one-handed par where three of the four shots I hit on an uphill par four in the back nine were one-handed. One-handed hybrid drive, middle of the fairway. One-handed hybrid approach, short by about 30 yards. Two-handed pitch shot, one-handed putt, boom, done. So it got me to thinking about doing things one-handed. What are you great at one-handed? What do you think you are a ninja at one-handed? I'd like to hear. I know that there's been a history of great plays. Most great plays in sports are one-handed because they wow you, you know? Everyone loves the one-handed catch in football, and of course the greatest one-handed catch of all time has to be Odell Beckham Jr., although it didn't happen in a big game. Lynn Swan kind of made a batting one-handed catch in the Super Bowl once that was caught beautifully by the NFL Films cameraman for all-time posterity. Uh, I've seen one-handed, bare-handed catch, bare-handed catches in baseball. Kevin Mitchell, who was an outfielder for the Giants, once made a running, bare-handed, one-handed catch in the outfield. Going towards the left field line near the foul line, and he kind of overrun it. He kind of overran it. He looks up, and in the last second, it's going to go over his glove on his left hand. He reaches his right hand up, and boom, snags it. I've seen dads holding their tiny toddler, actually babies, in at baseball games. They're, they have their toddler under their arm. They might even have a beer in that left hand, and with their right hand bare, they'll catch a home run ball or a foul, a foul ball. I've seen that before. It's amazing. So anything else one-handed that's great, let me know. But playing one-handed or somewhat one-handed for a portion of the round, I was joking. I said, well, if I lose this hand in a horrible meat grinder accident, I'm going to need to learn how to play one-handed. And it's sort of an offhanded joke, but let's not kid ourselves. People learn to play golf disabled in some way or differently abled as the proper term is and they enjoy the game there's even blind golfers yes if you haven't heard there is such a thing and they're really really good they'll probably beat you or me but the thing about you start playing one-handed you just look at the game differently you know we were playing the blue tees and it was about 6,300 yards which is not long really per se for my normal game Anything above 6,700 yards gets long for me, but 63, not bad. But when you're hitting it one-handed with a hybrid off the tee, well, you're not counting on getting home on any par par uh, fours, which I didn't for the most part. And so you just play your game differently. You just accept things. You just go, okay, it's going to take three to get up and, you know, three to get up there and I'm going to have to make a putt. And you don't care as much. That's for sure as well. Now, I'm sure if I did lose my hand in a horrible industrial stapling accident, that once I got pretty good one-handed, right-handed, just playing golf, then I'd get as pissed off as I do normally with two hands. But it's it's an interesting experience, I'll say that. And I made a par one-handed, which was pretty good. I also made a par par holing out from a bunker two-handed, after just four of the skeeviest shots you've ever seen. Let's hope my wrist feels better tomorrow. I'm due to play golf with the great John Kuhn at Green Bay Country Club 
up there in Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Packers. Also, I saw something. Are we? Hold on. We done with golf yet? No, I got one more thing. <laughs> it's hard to do my. I'm wearing my headset right now, in case you can't tell. I was like, how do I do the off off microphone heckler guy? I saw something I've never seen before on the golf course. And it's funny how sometimes you're like, well, 40 years of playing this game, never, ever seen that. We were talking about the color of certain golf balls, not just plain white, but alternate colors. Somehow Josh pulled out a golf ball that looked dirty white. And I said, what is that golf ball? It was very hard to find in the rough, oh, by the way. And I looked at it, and it was actually a brand new ball, a Hogan ball, that had this eggshell white, off-white, dirty white color that was then encased in a clear coat laminate, and it was a new ball. I said, Josh, this this thing is a joke. Why would you play a dull, white, dirty golf ball and have a hard time finding it? He's like, I don't know. It was just in my bag. I think I picked it up somewhere. So... Uh, Dolph, Scott Dolphin, who was playing with us, had the best term. He goes, Josh, that ball's, if that ball had a color, it would be called three-year creek. (laughs) Meaning it looks like a ball that's been in a creek for three years. Aged three years in a creek. So that's not something I've never seen before, although it kind of is. We end up stopping in a par three because there was a twosome behind us that was going to come through our foursome playing at our leisurely pace and the one guy sticks it close par three I mean he almost almost hold it out he's got about 10 feet left for birdie and he he hits it up there and I go look at his ball and I'm like that ball looks in like it's an orange ish ball but it's not and it was kind of the color of as I joked either blood disease urine where you got some blood in your urine, it's very dark, or it was almost a shade of kind of burnt orange, almost like Texas. And the guy comes up, and I go, man, that's a really unique color ball. What is that? He goes, well, it's orange. I said, did you buy them that way? Who who makes it? He goes, no, 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 it's a Srixon. He said, it's yellow, but I dye it with red dye to turn it orange, because I see it better. I, I'm i blinking right now, if you can't. I'm just, okay. That, that's, that's great, sir. I saw a guy for the first time in over 40 years of playing golf with who was basically playing a Srixon that was an Easter egg. <laughs> that he died. He died at a custom color because he claims he could see it better i'm like i don't know how he claims to see it better definitely didn't stand out to my eye but okay hey whatever works i'm not going to argue with his rods and cones in february when the covid 19 virus hit it was a distant concept to most americans gold was in the 1500 dollars range the dow is over twenty nine thousand. and today as the virus runs its course gold is over seventeen hundred dollars and the dow is around 27,000. Major market disruptions favor gold. Instability, uncertainty, impending inflation, 
all favors gold. If you have not diversified some of your savings into gold, there's no better time than today. Protect your savings from any further setbacks in the stock market. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. The company you can trust with your precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for those who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any more downturns in stocks. Of course, consult with your financial advisor. Contact Birch Gold Group to request a free info kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. The comprehensive 20-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of risk of stocks and bonds and into a precious metal IRA. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com zabe. That's birchgold.com zabe. Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. All right, last ad on the golf. Oh, for love, for the love of God. Ryder Cup postponed till 2021. All told, it was probably the best possible outcome. Assuming there's not a second wave, or not a second wave, assuming there's not a second virus or third or fourth, you know, Wuhan, Red Death, Part 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever, that comes next fall, it's going to be a fairly short wait. We can now look forward to those of us eagerly anticipating Whistling Straits Ryder Cup, which I think will be awesome, for an event that is a full event, full fans. Everyone can travel from Europe and make it the event it should be. I'm okay with that. The worry was they were going to punt it out of 2021, and because they've already got other things lined up, that they would just say go to the back of the line. And the PGA of America has dished out Ryder Cup sites in this country for, honestly, the next 20 years. You're, you're talking 2040, I think, would be the next chance that Wisconsin would get to have the Ryder Cup. That was the nightmare scenario that did not happen. Thank God for that. So we have to sit tight for another year. MLB has pushed the nuclear plunger. They're going to play a season, or at least they're going to try to force the players to do so. 60 games, full pro rata, which means that players will get about 37% of their normal salary, and they're going to try to start it sometime in mid-July. The first task is the players have to report to camp within seven days. Okay. And then they've got to agree to testing protocols and whatnot for the Rona. Could be very difficult. I don't know if the union's going to file a grievance. I would bet they would. And then it's off to the races legally. The playoffs are going to be a complete joke. They're going to be mangled. They're going to be disfigured. There is talk of things like there might be ties with this format of a season. Games might end in a tie. We might start, they talked about starting the 10th inning right away with a runner on base, a runner on second base. They were saying they may have free substitutions where you can come in the game, leave the game, come back in the game. I'm like, if you implement all these things and you play 60 games, it's, it's going to be a joke of a season. But this is what the owners have done. They have played the stall game, and they've gone back and forth. Now they're going to the, push the nuclear plunger, let the union grieve it, and it's off to the legal races, which should take – Years and years to sort out, but we'll see. The one thing I think the players are mis, 
understanding, or at least they're not clear on, this is not the fight to win. They're digging in when at least a third of the owners are saying, please, God, be no season. Please, God, be no season. Please, God. Because those owners are going to lose money playing this year. So why fight tooth and nail for a season that the owners don't, a third of them don't even want to play? Take, take your money now because you're ball players. You need all the money you can scoop up because you're not a billionaire. You don't own the team. You're a ball player. So swallow your pride. Take the L as it would be perceived. Play this season and then say, okay, you fuckers. We're going to play 2021 normal, assuming the world is upright again. And then after next year is done. We're coming. We're coming and we're bringing hell with us. If you think you're going to have a nice, easy, profitable business as usual 2022, get bent. Because that's the fight the players should take. That's the fight they should dig in on. This is not a good fight for them to dig in on. A third of the owners are going to lose money. So I don't know why they're intent on doing it. Now we'll see what happens, but at least the kaboosh nuclear plunger has been pushed. Bubba Wallace was the victim of a despicable hate crime in which a noose was found in his garage stall at Talladega. Whoever did this, they need to find him and they need to prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law or persons, plural. It's the worst kind of thing that NASCAR could have right now as they are fighting the Confederate flag issue. They are fighting to be more inclusive as a sport. And they're fighting to not just carry the mantle of that shithead, redneck, hillbilly, deep southern, still don't get it, drag them kicking and screaming into the 21st century sport. Because I don't think the sport is that way. The sport isn't that way. The teams and the team owners and the drivers and the crew chiefs and the pit bosses, I don't think they're that way. I don't believe it. But the fan base and the fact of the you know NASCAR's history is such that it's a reputation that has been earned to a certain degree. So let's hope that they find them. That said, we don't know who put the noose there. And we don't know if it was a hoax. We don't know if it was some sort of play. It could have been somebody who was black. There, there have been many, many hate crime hoaxes exposed in recent years. I forget the website that tracked it, but people have done follow-up on this. The follow-up and they go, oh, yeah, it was actually a black professor. I believe at Rutgers there was a noose that was found dangling on a doorknob of a black professor, and it turns out it was a black student activist who put it there because they knew it would get attention and headlines, and it would help advance the cause, so to speak. I don't know if that happened here. I'll employ Occam's razor and say that the most obvious answer is the correct one, and that someone who's a dipshit and a racist and hateful did this. And I hope they catch him or hims or hims and hers and prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. The women's tournament 
in soccer lost a team. The Orlando team pulled out. They had 10 positive coronavirus, coronavirus tests amongst their players, and there is a belief that they got it when they went out to a bar in Orlando. This puts a real dent in the tournament, although they're still going to press ahead with the tournament because they need an even number of teams, obviously. And there is apparently real anger amongst other women in this NWSL that are like, you know what, this was our one chance to play this summer and we've been in quarantine for three months and you asshats in Orlando got to go out to a bar? Fuck you. Now, do we know they got at a bar? No. I mean, there's a fair chance, obviously, crowded around, a lot of people, but they're pissed. And this will be interesting to see how many times this repeats itself going forward as sports leagues start to ramp up. How many teams will say, we don't care how many positive tests, we're still playing. Because this is as good as it's going to get for at least 18 months until Dr. Fauci and Dr. Gates's magical vaccine comes into existence and we all can get it. UCLA players have said they want a special advisor on health issues, especially coronavirus, because they don't trust Chip Kelly with their best interests. They say that these uh, these 30 players at, on the UCLA program have said they have questioned sometimes the coach and the medical staff and their treatment of injuries, and they don't trust them now. So they want a special advisor watching the team. On the surface, great, right? On the surface, some would say, it's wonderful that student-athletes are actually taking more control and they are so-called flexing their power. But it can be dangerous. I know Chip Kelly was run out of Philly and LaShawn McCoy was one of the leading guys that basically called him racist. Others said, I believe Jeffrey Lurie said he lacked the emotional intelligence that they need in a head coach, whatever that is. But Chip Kelly has a bit of a rep. Deserved or not, it's there. And this only adds to it. Now, here's the thing. 30 players signed that letter. That leaves at least 70 that didn't. And I think many players at UCLA who are probably pretty happy to play for Chip Kelly. They were recruited by Chip Kelly. Well, maybe they've been recruited. How long has he been there? I know UCLA has burned through a bunch of coaches trying to finally somehow briefly get back on the level of USC as a program. They've always been the little brother in town, even though they shouldn't be. I mean, they're part of the massive UC system. They play in the same conference, same letterhead, Pac-12. Their campus, Westwood, blows USC away, which is in the middle of the city and not the nicest part of town. And they should do better. But they've never been on USC's level. So they've been trying to get these coaches to get them there, and you know Chip Kelly is the latest effort. This now puts him as a wounded duck. Lame duck? Maybe not. Wounded duck for sure. And as much as it's good to cheer on players exercising their power, so to speak, it can get very dangerous very quickly because once you delegitimize a coach, it's hard for him then to be the coach and to do his job and to lay down laws he sees fit and mold a culture and everything else. And so while the 30 players might think, well, this was good, we were just voicing our concerns, it was a soft coup of sorts, and it 
and and soft coups destabilize programs. So for all the kids who signed to go play at UCLA because it was their dream, their dad played, or they love the campus, or it's got a great engineering department you're going to be in, or who knows what, or you just love the color scheme of UCLA, which, by the way, is powder blue, shiny gold, real gold. My God, UCLA is insane how good their uniforms and their helmets are. If you're a kid who went to go play there and you were relatively happy with Chip Kelly and you weren't that concerned about the Rona thing, now he's destabilized and he may be out within a year. And then you're like, well, fuck. Now we got another guy coming in. More players leave because of this. Oh, that's it. I'm out. It's a slippery slope. It's in, in, on paper, in theory, it's great. But it, it, it is something that gets to be risky when you start getting groups of athletes that say, hey, I don't like this coach. Because they're not going to like the next coach either. Or the only coach they will like will be a complete pushover, and then the team's going to win two games a year. Guaranteed couple of random things what happens when they get rid of usb ports you know the usb three or no whatever the, the the big square usb port and plugs where you literally can never get it right on the first try you always have to flip it over what happens when they get rid of those because in hotel rooms and unfortunately i'm looking around i don't see a lot of prefabbed ports i can just plug my phone into most places have little you know, alarm clocks that also have USB ports out to charge. What happens when they finally get rid of these? It's going to be a lot of, like a lot of the hotels started buying these things that would fit the old iPods. You could plug your iPod or your old iPhone into that wide jack and it would play music out of it. Like, oh, isn't this great? Gone. Other random thing, just to mop up here before I'm done tonight and i Appreciate you just sitting here with me today alone because it was a busy day of me traveling, playing golf, everything else. Uh, flying was great. I couldn't be happier with how easy flying is. Airport empty, plane, nobody in middle seats. And yeah, they didn't have beverage service. We got one cup of water, a bag of nuts. But I'm like, that's fine. Everyone wore masks. You got to take your mask off to eat, which kind of defeated the of masks, but again, remember a lot of this is theater and it was great it's not going to last forever though it better not last forever, otherwise airlines going to be going out of business left and right but if you can fly somewhere now and if you're not too scared, it is a great time to fly, my god it's glorious and then there's this, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, I subscribe to it and I get their emails daily, and I get their coronavirus email and it says all the latest on the coronavirus in Wisconsin Okay, how are we doing? All I want to know is daily new cases, daily deaths, and they're so low it doesn't even matter what the hospitalizations are because they're minimal. Whatever. So I just want to know those things. Well, the headline says, Wisconsin surpasses 25,000 mark of confirmed cases. And I thought, so? <laughs> what do we win? Tell them what they won, Bob. I joked to uh, get her. I go, does that unlock the free pizza now that we're past 25,000? What do we get at 30, at 35, at 40, at 50? Tell me, tell me, what happens? I guess that passes for journalism these days. 
I'll end on this. When will the cancel culture finally end? Well, for the, many of us, not soon enough. But Victor Davis Hansen, writing for PJmedia.com, points out that these things end when the revolutions turn on their own. And he brings up the fact that cultural revolutionaries attack the very reference of our daily lives. The Jacobins' so-called reign of terror during the French Revolution slaughtered Christian clergy, renamed months, and created a new supreme being, reason. Mao Zedong cracked down on supposed Western decadence like the wearing of sun eyeglasses and made peasants forge pot iron and intellectuals wear dunce caps. Muammar Gaddafi's Green Book cult wiped out violins and forced Libyans to raise chickens in their apartments. The current Black Lives Matter revolution has canceled quote-unquote, certain movies, TV shows, cartoons. They've toppled statues. They've tried to create a new autonomous urban zone. They've renamed streets and plazas. Some fanatics shaved their heads. Others have shamed authorities into washing the feet of their fellow revolutionaries. But inevitably, writes Victor Davis Hanson, cultural revolutions die out when they turn cannibalistic. Once the Red Guards started killing party hacks too close to Mao, it began to wane. If toppling Confederate statues is required, what then about Nancy Pelosi's own mayor father, who once as Baltimore's mayor dedicated honorific statues to Confederate generals? If racists, writes Hansen, understandably do not deserve their names on national shrines, what do we do with the iconic liberal graduate programs at Princeton, the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs? That was named after Wilson, who, as a president, did more to further segregation and racial prejudice than any chief executive of the 20th century. In other words, says Hansen, once cultural revolutions turn anarchic and eat their own, they lose support. When quiet sympathizers conclude that they too may be targeted to survive, they then turn on their former icons. He says this is essentially what's happened to the Me Too movement when it came up and lapped up on the feet of Joe Biden. That he says Me Too is over. I'm not so sure. I think this was a convenience, a convenient suspension of Believe All Women, and it will return once again. Because here's the thing. I don't know many liberals that get canceled, especially minorities. Do minorities ever get canceled? It doesn't seem like it. If there is one, let me know, because it's few and far between. He says, we're seeing that now. Liberal sympathetic bystanders are wondering whether downtown arson and looting will go private and reach their suburban homes. Do they really want their marquee universities or the Washington or Jefferson monuments defaced or renamed? What happens when calling 911 gets a constant busy signal? When a liberal mayor or a black police chief or progressive governor or white leftist who diverge from party line is targeted by the mob, then who really is safe? Answer, no one. And so the cultural revolution sputters into irrelevance. There's one caveat, he says. Sometimes cultural revolutions don't die out if they're hijacked by a thug or a killer. 
The National Socialist Movement was an irrelevant, nihilistic mob of crazies until one Adolf Hitler turned it into his personal genocidal cult. A murderous Stalin resurrected the absurdities of Lenin's failing Bolshevism. A final thought, he says, cultural revolutions not only eventually die without cruel dictators, but they can often spawn dramatic pushbacks. Ronald Reagan was the answer to the radical 60s. Revolutionaries are now sowing the wind, but they have little idea of the reactive whirlwind they may soon reap. Boy, wouldn't that be great. But I'm sorry to say I can't count on it. Times are different. The world is different. The technological array against us is different now as citizens. I'm not so sure. And trust me, the ability for those on the left to look at one thing, declare it the most heinous, worst thing ever, and then turn right around and say, oh, but this is okay, actually, because this is one of ours or this is or, or just ignore it is incredible. Don't underestimate that power, is all I'm saying. Okay, have you heard? We're having a golf tournament at 97.3 The Game, the first annual Caddy Day Tournament. Come on, come on. We've already jumped out to a quick number of sales of foursomes. There's only 25 foursomes available. It is Thursday, July 30th, 10 a.m. shotgun of the fabulous Washington County Golf Course designed by Arthur Hills. We'll have live shows from the course all day long. Come out and see all the zoo animals at 97.3 The Game and have a great time for a fun, no pressure, tribute to the great movie Caddyshack, and who cares where you hit it, and hit it one-handed. Who cares? Maybe we'll have a hole. Outdrive me one-handed for a prize. Formats of modified scramble. Uh, We're going to donate some proceeds uh, to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Rules are still being tweaked, but get your foursome lined up and sign up now before they're all filled. Look for our link at thegamemke.com. That's thegamemke.com. Or go to caddy-day.com. That's caddy spelled C-A-D-D-I-E-day.com. Caddy with an I-E is the correct way. Oh, by the way, to spell it. I looked it up. It's on the internet. That's a wrap for me tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Keep your head up. We'll plow ahead with this. Don't forget we've changed the Red Circle end of the month. Libsyn goes away. Unsubscribe there. Resubscribe at Red Circle. Get 12 months for the price of 11. Get your Daily Zabe delivered via RSS feed to just about any platform you like. Quality content worth paying a price for, and I appreciate everyone who does. Rate and review so our algorithms bless us. And have a great Tuesday, and we will see you tomorrow from Green Bay. Of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control. It's cool to dance, but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance? Give me a soft, subtle mix. And if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it. And think of the summers of the past. Adjust the bass and let the alpine blast. Pop in my CD and let me run a rhyme. And put your car on cruise and lay back, because it's summertime.